This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of September 6th through 30th. How are you doing, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing better than last week. Um, yeah. My voice has recovered as has the rest of me and my family. So it's looking like, you know, knock on wood, we are we are going to enter a new week with nobody actively ill. Yay. So that feels fun. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay, we did it. We made it. Yeah, so that's kind of the the big story. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, getting back into the swing of things at church. I'm back from my sabbatical, I think we've, we've talked about. Um, and, you know, catching up and getting back into the rhythm, getting the school year going with my kids. And uh, the the video game obsession continues. I uh, I could talk to you at great length about my pretend farm on Stardew Valley and uh, <laughs> all the all the things that are happening there in that particular little imaginary world that I'm immersed in. Yeah. But yeah, doing all right. Thanks. So uh, Jeopardy this week. It happened. It happened. On Monday, we have the contestants, David Sibley, an Episcopal priest from Walla Walla, Washington, Sue Adams, a software developer from North Weymouth, Massachusetts, and Michael Mankus a data analyst from Kansas City, Missouri, whose two-day cash winnings total $48,402. And we have the Jeopardy categories, the gist of the job, G-I-S-T in quotation marks, small mammals, hyphenated words, friends, Romans, and country men and women, uh, where you provide the common country of birth of the people they name in the clue. At the $400 level of small mammals, the fruit of the choya type of this is a favorite food of Harris's antelope squirrel of the Sonoran Desert. One of my interview stories was about the jumping choya cactus. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. And now it has come up, I think, twice in the last four years. So clearly the writers are, are sending me a message. Yes. What is the, like, recent cultural resurgence of friends i have no idea yeah i don't know yeah i feel like it's been everywhere it's been coming up a lot yeah i mean that friends category was really yes friends was like extremely popular and it's and it's valid trivia but those were also as much as any trivia question is you know it or you don't those were very much like if you don't know the show you have no you have no inroads, you know what right. I mean? Right. So. Yeah, all of it is like, yeah, I mean, the, the $200 level was, what is the name of Matthew Perry's character? Mm-hmm. Right? And they provided the catchphrase, but like, there's no, like. There's no clue there to figure it out if you're not, if you don't know it. Yeah. Which, again, is is okay. Like, there's, that's the way trivia goes sometimes. But yeah, I thought, I, I don't know. I'm not necessarily complaining because I recognize how popular it is and everything, but also, it, I don't know. It's just strange. I never liked Friends. I never thought yeah. it was funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just that that kind of like 
chip on my shoulder of like having to defend myself to everyone who has enjoyed the show and be like, how do you think it's so funny? I'm just, I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. And, like, and now, it's okay. It's yeah. fine. Now we're going to get a whole bunch of, we're going to get Trisket level engagement <laughs> because I, I stated that I don't enjoy that show. All right. Daily Double number one is in the small mammals category at the uh, $800 level. It is pick number five. It's very early on and David finds it. He wagers all of his 1800. He's been doing well so far and gets the clue. This spiny creature is native to England where people love tight rows of bushes in their gardens. And he figures it out. That's a hedgehog. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, we have some big scores. Michael's at 6,000. Sue is at 200. She's on the board. And David is at 9,400. We have the double Jeopardy categories, historic nicknames, writing implements, mountain world, pop music, Shakespeare's kings and queens, and S-words with S in quotation marks. Classic. Although none of the S-words were swords, which I think mm. is just a major missed opportunity. I feel like if you're going to have an S-words category, I don't know, maybe that would be too predictable and thus could be seen as unfair, but... Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have a sword in there. Mm-hmm. In the two thousand dollar level of that category, I realized there were how tricky that that question was. Uh, the clue is just a one masted sailboat. Sue tried what is a skiff. The correct answer is a sloop, and the other word that came into my mind is a schooner. Schooner, yeah. Which I believe is a two masted boat. If I if I remember my 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 <laughs> uh, short time where I was really into sailing ships. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, so there are a number of options that start with S. At first, I was like, oh, that's easy. But then, you know, the, the variety of options, if you aren't sure, I could see being very difficult. Yeah, I, I had a lucky and immediately said sloop. And then Sue said, "Was it what is a skiff? And I was like, oh, well, that sounds that sounds good. That right. sounds better. I should have yeah. said that. David, by the way, I don't know him personally, um, but the clergy world is not huge. So we have a, a number of mutual friends. Nice. Yeah. You're... Your bacon number is two, or whatever they say, call it. Yeah. Oh, the great compromiser Henry Clay at the $800 level of historic nicknames. You had a deep dive on, he was one of the three, right? The, was it triumvirate? The, yeah. So I did a deep dive on the, the tri, the, the Roman triumvirate, and then the, there's, oh, the, the quiz. That's right. There's in the quiz, the American triumvirate. That's and, right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in writing implements at the $1,600 level, and Michael finds it as the fourth pick. He wagers 2000 and gets the clue, a line of fountain pens from this French brand was inspired by the glacier on its namesake mountain. And he tries what is Blanc. Uh, he's at the right mountain, but he, that's not the, the brand name. The brand name is Mont Blanc. So he drops down a bit. Yep. Which has got to be tough because he took a guess and it was, it was the so right close. guess. It was yeah. just not complete. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in historic nicknames at the $2,000 level. Uh, pick number six, David finds it. Uh, he wagers 4000 And the clue is the big four were George Clemenceau, David Lloyd George, Vittorio Orlando, and this American. And he uh, gets it correct with who is Woodrow Wilson. Those are the... Those are the, the allied leaders during World War One. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, David is in a lock position with 21,800. Michael's at 8,400. Sue's at 1,400. 
We have the Final Jeopardy category magazines, and the clue a now annual issue of this magazine was inspired by the high society parties of Caroline Astor, whose ballroom fit about 400 people. Uh, This was a triple stumper. Sue tried what is Harper's Bazaar. She wagered all but a dollar, so she drops down. Michael tried what is Salon. He wagered just a dollar, so Sue is left with a dollar, but Michael has 8,399. And then David responded, what is Vanity Fair? Ken said I like that to one of the guesses. Which one was it? Salon? I think it was Salon, yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I appreciated that, right? Like, I appreciate that, like, he's, he was a trivia player first and he appreciates a a good, good guess. Yes, yeah. when he sees it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Vanity Fair is incorrect. David didn't wager anything. And I think this was the point where Ken had some aside about David, like, not believing in gambling. Yeah, he said, and he wagered nothing, or he bet nothing. I wonder if he doesn't believe in it, or something like that. Yeah, which I assumed was Ken saying something, like, was about, you know, having an ethical problem with wagering money, right? Mm-hmm. Like, assuming that maybe, maybe as a priest. Right. Uh, yeah. Although... Maybe doesn't believe in it refers to like, I don't know, could, it could be like, oh, he doesn't believe in his ability to get a magazine's question, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but it seemed to me like he was making, you know, making a guess about like David's religious practices, which there are plenty of Christian denominations that, you know, are have kind of a hardline anti-gambling stance. The Episcopal Church isn't really one of them. Hmm. I mean, they're not like... You know, they're not like go bust all your money at a casino right now. But. Yeah, but it's like not it's not like a it's not like a major position of the Episcopal Church. Yeah. Anyway, um, David didn't wager anything. Uh, so he stays at twenty one thousand eight hundred and uh, wins. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Charlotte Cook, an office manager from Essex Fells, New Jersey. Nick Kaoki Kilstein, a government lawyer and professional mixed martial arts coach originally from Pennington, New Jersey. And David Sibley, an Episcopal priest from Walla Walla, Washington, who just won $21,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. The Map of India, Hobbies and Pastimes, A Friendly Word, Literary Professions, Cash, and Credits. Not the angle on the $1,000 clue of cash was a good one. I'm not sure if this has come up much on Jeopardy. Uh, The clue there was the $10 bill was issued in 1914 with this president on the front. Today, he's on a larger bill, and some don't want him there. David got that one. That's Andrew Jackson. Um, There's been all that conversation about replacing Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. There was initial conversation about putting Harriet Tubman on the 10, but the success of Hamilton, the musical, uh, got people (laughs) really enthusiastic about keeping Hamilton on the $10 bill. Great. Yeah. The show Hamilton had, I think their, like their ticket lottery and like some other like programs for like getting discount tickets, they would charge $10, which is kind of unusually low, I think, mm-hmm. because Hamilton is on the $10 bill was the rationale for that being the price for those. Daily Double number one is in the literary professions category at the $400 level. It's just the second pick. And David finds it. He's the only one with any money, uh, having just gotten that $200 clue above it correct. Uh, so he wagers the maximum, 1000 and gets the clue Wang Lung when we meet him in the good earth. And he gets it correct. Uh, Wang Lung is a farmer. 
I was trying to come up with like examples when we were talking about friends about like how how would you offer like a way in Mm -hmm. to a fact you don't know. But like even if you haven't read The Good Earth and don't know that particular character or much about the plot, right? Like the The Good Earth, I feel like gives you grounds for a guess. Right. It gets you you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like if you don't know the the names of the friends characters and they're not giving you, oh, it's also, you know the last name of this, you know, notable person or like whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you just need, you just need to know. Anyway, David's in the lead with 8,000. Uh, Nick is in the red. He's at negative 200. Charlotte's at 6,600. And we have the double jeopardy categories, the 19th century, jazz nicknames, political writing, alphanumerics, non-nigh science guys, and also in the circus. It took them a little practice with also in the circus before they started getting it. And they started at the that was at the $2,000 level of that one. Um, but I thought it was a fun. Uh, it was all clues where the answer was a term that has a meaning also for circus arts, you know, circus, like mm-hmm. the circus business at the $2,000 level. For most of the muses, she was said to be mother to Orpheus uh, nobody got that one. That's Calliope. A Calliope is, I don't really understand what it is, but it's that circus instrument. It's a, I know it's what a it musical sounds instrument. Like. Yeah, it's a musical instrument. You would recognize the sound of it and be like, oh, that's, you know. It sounds like a circus. Sounds like a circus. <laughs> like, yeah. I like the $1,600 one. Tolkien wrote that these were for the elven kings under the sky, and that's three rings. <laughs> I, that was, I liked that one. It's a, it's a deep pull, obviously, but it yeah. is. I liked it a lot. Yeah. You know those categories that come up and you're like, man, I wish I was on stage for that? Yeah. The jazz nicknames. Jazz category. nicknames. Yeah. So it like, was like, ooh. Yeah. They didn't get the 16 or the 2000. Yeah. And the 1200 was on a rebound. Yeah. yeah. Which was which was tough. David had clearly heard the name before, but he didn't like know it. The clue was Juilliard dropout and band leader Armando Anthony Correa. He guessed what is Chip. Charlotte got the rebound with Chick. But then they missed uh, Bix Biederbeck and uh, Sonny Rollins. Yeah, I didn't know Bix Biederbeck. Sonny Rollins, I recognized once I heard it, but it didn't come to me. I've had a lot of conversations over, you know, the recent few years about like the popularity of Jeopardy. And I think like one of the things about it is that it makes people feel smart because like, if you can shout out the answer before they say it, like, oh man, you're golden. But then even if they say the answer and you feel like you've heard it, you're like, oh, I could have gotten that. Right. Yeah. It's a it's an affirming feeling of, oh, yeah, I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize that piece of information, mm-hmm. which successfully ringing in, bringing it to mind and saying it is an, is another it, thing. Yeah, it's entirely different. But yeah. but it does make people feel like, oh, you know, I recognize that. And then there's like a few things that they, you know, don't recognize. And they're like, oh, well, this, is, this is very... Very smart brainy stuff yes. here. Look yes. at me recognizing all this smart brainy stuff. Is there any way to know the designation of the Starship Enterprise other than just knowing it? No. Okay, cool. I remember, I'm like, oh, it's something like NC-17, because that always strikes me as weird that, you know, the this the Enterprise has a designation of NC-17. Yeah. Um, but it, it has more. It's NCC-1701. Yeah, yeah. No, you just have to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what connection there is otherwise. 
Yeah. I don't remember exactly when NC-17 was introduced. Um, it would have been touched, after. Yeah. yeah, I touched on it when I had the deep dive on the Hayes Code, and I think that I think that it would have been after that NCC-1701 For sure. designation yeah, yeah. was created. Yeah. I remember seeing some uh, some fuss about that on on social media. That's a you either know it or you don't, and that's a deep pull. Like I have watched some Star Trek in my life, and I did not remember that. Right. I mean, even Ken Channing said that. So, Daily Double number two is in the nineteenth century category at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number eight. Uh, Charlotte finds it. She's a little bit behind David, and she only wagers two thousand. Gets the clue, born almost with the century in 1800, he was executed in 1859 on charges including treason against Virginia, though he wasn't a Virginian. And she gets it right away with who is John Brown. And Daily Double number three is in non-nigh science guys at the $2,000 level. And David finds it as the 18th pick. He is already in a pretty good lead and wagers 4000 and gets the clue, this American found variable stars in the Andromeda Nebula helping him figure its distance from Earth and getting it renamed a galaxy. And he gets it correct uh, with Hubble, and that completes him running the non-nigh science guys category. Yes. So he is suddenly out to a very big lead. Uh, And going into Final Jeopardy, he has another lock game at 22,400. Charlotte is at 10,200. She played a good game, and Nick is at 2,600. And we get the Final Jeopardy category, World Airports. And the clue, Africa's two busiest passenger airports are in these two countries. It's an eight-hour flight between them. Uh, Nick got it correct with what are Egypt and South Africa. And he wagered all of his 2,600, so he doubles up. Charlotte wrote what are Nigeria and Kenya, which was incorrect, and only wagered 200. Solid guess, though. Good guess. Yeah, it's a... I mean, you got to think if it's eight hours away, it's either, you know, it's from one end to the other, either north to south or east to west. But anyway, yeah, David again wagered zero because he didn't need to wager anything. Uh, And Ken makes a comment about David wagering zero again. Um, Mm, But he wins his second game. Nigeria and Kenya, I thought that was, I thought a good guess thinking in terms of like population. Yeah, Nigeria is by far the most populous country in Africa. And and if you're basing it off of that, then you got to think somewhere eight hours away. I still would have gone with South Africa. South Africa was my first. Yeah. I was like, that seems like the, you know, got to be one of them. And then, and then I just was like, Egypt? That's probably right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Egypt is the third most populous. So I, yeah, I think, I think there are kind of a couple ways to tackle it. One is to think about the size of the population. Um, and then another one might be to think about like the amount of tourism. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like give Charlotte props for a, for a solid guess. Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a puzzle to work out. And I, you know, I can kind of see where she was going. Mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, we have the contestants, Emily Hackbarth, a middle school counselor from Ames, Iowa, Sam Wang, a statistics professor from Ithaca, New York, and David Sibley, an Episcopal priest from Walla Walla, Washington, whose two-day cash winnings total $44,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories off to New England, Hatchet Man, History, One Named Rockstars, Material, and I Long for Long You. I don't know why I liked that category so much, the Long You. Yeah. 
But I did. Yeah. It was fun. It's a common trivia question, the $800 level. Horizontal whale tail part. That's a fluke. Mm-hmm. I did not learn that in like a biology class or anything. I just know it because it has come up so many times in trivia. Yeah. Did I do a deep dive on the Knights Templar? I feel like I've talked about them a bunch, but I don't. I know don't think I... I don't think you have done a deep dive on the Knights Templar. It seems like the sort of thing you would do a deep dive on. Yeah, and I, that's why I'm like, did I? I don't. I don't think I did, but I also maybe I did. We've done a lot of deep dives. Yeah. Um, that's at the thousand dollar level of history. On Friday, the thirteenth of October, thirteen o seven, King Philip the Fourth of France ordered the arrest of this military group, and that is the Knights Templar. Um, mm-hmm. One of the possible reasons that Friday the 13th is considered unlucky. Huh. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the material category. At the $800 level, pick number 15, uh, Emily finds it. Uh, she is in the lead, which is cool, and wagers 3000 which is also cool. Mm-hmm. And gets a clue, Portugal is the world's leading producer of this material that makes a whopper of a stopper. And she gets it correct with what is cork. Mm-hmm. And she jumps out to a to a pretty big lead there. So going into double jeopardy, she has the lead at seventy six hundred. Uh, Sam is at twenty six hundred, and David is in third place at twenty two hundred. And we have the double jeopardy categories: cliff notes, a letter than a word, the Wright brothers, just R I G H T, the actors studio, naturalists, and and the state goes to. Uh, so this is. Uh, who won the electoral votes for that state in the election year that they give. I thought that was a good category. I, I enjoyed it. It was sufficiently, you had to puzzle it out, but it was pretty gettable. Like it was gettable enough if you mm-hmm. took the time to think. Yeah. With some, you know, some neg bait, right? Like Utah 2008 at the $800 level. Uh, Sam went for the neg bait and gets Romney, right? There's that Romney-Utah association, but 2008's the wrong, wrong year mm-hmm. for Romney. Um, so McCain, the correct response there. We had um, a Learned League question this week that I missed because I guessed Mae West, but the correct response was Betty Grable. So then, of course, when I was watching Jeopardy!, hmm. I saw a picture of a 1930s movie star. It was like, you're not going to fool me this time. It's Betty Grable. Uh, But it was Mae West. It was Mae West. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in that the actor's studio category at the $2,000 level. And David finds it at the 10th pick. He's a little behind Emily's lead uh, and wagers 2000 to try and get the lead from her and gets the clue. Charlie Chaplin banded together with three other movie makers to found this studio in 1919. And he gets it correct with United Artists. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in the Cliff Notes category at the $800 level. Pick number 28. It's very late. Uh, David finds this one as well. He has extended his lead uh, and he chooses not to uh, risk that lead by only wagering 2000 Smart move. Yeah. Yeah. Only two clues left after this. And he gets a clue. Alice Dewar Miller's The White Cliffs, a prose poem about World War One and World War Two, mentions this town in its third line. And he gets it correct with what is Dover. Yeah. They had not done well in this category up to that point. Yeah. He also was being a bit strategic about probably not being confident. Yeah. And uh, that brings us to Final Jeopardy. David is 
in a pretty good lead with 14,600. Emily's at 8,800. Sam's at 7,800. We have the final Jeopardy category, World Rivers, and the clue these two rivers share the names of countries and with the same four letters, and both join up with the Paraná River. This was a triple stumper. Uh, Sam tried what are Congo and Zimbabwe. Uh, that's uh, obviously not correct. Um, doesn't end with the same four letters. Right. So you can sort of rule it out from the beginning. Um, there was a lot to parse here, I think. In right. This clue. Uh, he wagered 7700 That drops him down to $100. Uh, Emily tried what are the Panama and and then didn't have a second one. Uh, Ken said she's in the maybe he said she's in the, like the right part of the, part of no, the world. Yeah, right, right part of the world or something like that. She wagered six thousand that drops her down to twenty eight hundred. And David had what is Peru and Ecuador. He's even closer. Paraguay and Uruguay. Yeah, I, were you able to get there? I was not able to get there. Because I was watching it on one and a half speed. Oh yeah, no, I I also <laughs> yeah. I also watch on faster than. I don't normal. know if I would have been able to get it with ten more seconds. Right, I. But I suspect I might have. It's hard to know. I I think I don't know that I would have gotten there with time to write because I started with rivers, right? And I think that's right. probably what all of them did was starting with rivers. Yeah. And that's not. That's not the clue here, right? Start the clue with- here is two countries that end with the same letters in the same area. Right. Right. So I got, I mean, Piranha, I knew that was South America, but I went to like Amazon and Orinoco and I was like, okay, what other rivers have the same last four letters? And I spent like 15, 20 seconds trying to figure that out. And then I like shook my head and was like, wait, what countries end with the same four letters? Oh, right. Paraguay and Uruguay. Yeah. Like, Duh. Like, are there para- do I know those rivers? No, but like, what other options are there? Right. Yeah, I think I was heading down a like Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That came. That came um, to mind. I think I was starting to think of Nicaragua and Aconcagua, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a country, right? But is a is is a water a river. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's. I don't know if I would have gotten myself straightened out in time, but yeah, you have to. I think for this. Clue, you've got to head for that same four letters part. Yeah. Same four letters, names of countries, and work from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the clue was, or the category was World Rivers. So if you just spent the commercial break trying to think up rivers, right. your brain You're is like, already set in river rather than country. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. tricky. It was tricky. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, but David survives to play another game. <laughs> so on Thursday, we get the contestants. Sonali Rao, a life sciences consultant from New York, New York, Moira Smith, an accountant from Washington, D.C., and David Sibley, an Episcopal priest from Walla Walla, Washington, whose three-day total is now $55,799. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, The X Country, Stay Healthy, Making the Rounds, Religion, Characters on the TV Show, and Beastly Talk. Mm-hmm. I tell you a struggle as a music teacher, the $200 of making the rounds. Musical rounds sung by multiple voices starting at different times include this one that ends Life is But a Dream. Uh, Sonali got that. That's Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Trying to teach beginners how to play in a round is exceedingly difficult if they don't have, like, developed abstract thought. I, I like... When I was teaching sixth graders how to do it, it was so hard to be like, okay, half of you are going to start right away and just go to the end. 
and then stop. So once you start, just play to the end. Ignore everything else. Just play to the end. Mm-hmm. The other half, you're going to wait for them to play like four bars. And then after they've done that, you start at the beginning and play to the end. That's all you do. Once you start, you just play to the end, right? I try to simplify it, try to give examples, and invariably... They join in with the... They, with they join in where the first group is, yeah. right? They just hop right mm-hmm. in at measure yes. five or whatever. And I like... And I I've, I struggled so much to try and get... To, to, to break past that whatever barrier that is. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm teaching high school beginners how to do it, it's like the they get it on the first try. They're like, yeah, okay. We, yeah. Just, we just start four bars later. I'm like, yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Oh my, why is it like, yeah, I don't, I still don't know how to do it for younger students other than just repeat it over and over again until something clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's, I feel like there's a self-confidence piece also, right? Like it, it takes be, yeah. so much more guts. I feel like to, uh, to jump in and do something different than what everyone else is already doing. You know what I mean? That's fair. Um, yeah. yeah, but there's, I think there is certainly like a, like a, like a, abstract thought like a like a cognitive development piece yeah um but yes i i feel this struggle as somebody who was like a good music student in classes with you know a range of levels Mm -hmm. (laughs) being like the one kid or one of one of a handful of kids who would do the round correctly as like as the rest of my group would join in with the first part Mm -hmm. um yeah oh man I, I don't know anything about the TV show Euphoria. Um, mm-hmm. It was at the thousand dollar level of characters on the TV show. Fezco, Lexi, and Ashtray, not always happy. David tried What Is That 70s Show? But the correct response here is Euphoria. And Ken said, I kind of thought David did not watch Euphoria. And I was correct. <laughs> David says you are yes. correct. Is it is it because it's the wrong generation? Or is it because it's like too explicit probably the second um i I will tell you like clergy watch all of the explicit right shows Uh, yeah ken's leaning in really hard to this there's a there's a lot of us like i i am like i think i am i am ready to jump in and like defend david's humanity lack of honor i don't know right like this is this is like ken is like bringing the the energy of the people who always apologize for swearing in front of me you know Mm -hmm. um i'm like it's mm, like whatever's happening between us has entirely to do with a set of assumptions that you're making and really nothing to do with me or my you know religious practices and convictions right he's been playing that a lot i don't know yeah it, it feels a little weird because it I, yeah i'm like i mean he might watch euphoria he might like it he yes. also might not i mean i don't watch euphoria but that is because it doesn't appeal to me and maybe it's because i teach teenagers and i don't want to watch a show about teenagers doing very dangerous things and being bad yeah. people mm-hmm. but also it could just be that i don't watch it oh. yeah Daily Double number one is in the X country category at the $1,000 level. And Maura finds it very early, just the second pick. So she is the only one with any money at this point, having just gotten the $1,000 clue. So uh, she makes it a true Daily Double uh, with, you know, what would be the maximum if she had any less uh, $1,000 and gets the clue. This Central European dual state got divided into two new countries in 1918. Each keeping half of the original name. And 
She gets it correct. It's Austria-Hungary. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, David has taken the lead with 6,400. Moore is at 4,400. Sonali is at 2,000. And we get the clue, Reading Rainbow. The Beatles non-Beatles song, U.S. Counties, From Dawn to Dusk, Pirates, and there's a price on my head. Uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games, uh, you are a pirate in the Caribbean, and you meet or Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed um, from the $400 clue. Oh, nice. And yeah, you like you go on an adventure with them, and then you all get captured, and then they get released because they were, or not released, but not executed because they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned that fact. <laughs> I think I learned it from a children's history podcast that my daughter listens to as she's falling asleep. Mm, that's a fun story to fall asleep to. Yeah, they they cover um it's it's a good podcast actually if you uh you know if you if you have kids um bedtime history maybe your your kids are probably a little young for it Kyle mm, probably but but yeah it's like it's uh maybe. 10 minute little historical things, um, but told in like, narrated in like kind of a calm, slow, soothing way. And so like, it's interesting enough that they stay in bed, mm-hmm. but not so interesting that they necessarily stay awake for it. But like, if they do, at least they're like, you know, learning something learning. about like the Wright brothers or, you know, whatever. Right. Um Maybe it was Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Mm. I don't know. Which, that one's a little bit less um, intentionally kind of bedtimey, mm-hmm. but also a good kids history podcast. And we had a, in the U.S. counties, I had a uh, the same kind of thought as the incorrect answer uh, at the $1,600 level. Longfellow fans in the legislature gave South Dakota's most populous county this name of a, quote, dark-eyed daughter. And I was like, oh, Longfellow, what is that Longfellow poem that's a woman's name? And then Moira rang in and said, who is Evangeline? And I was like, yes, that's the one. And that was incorrect. And I was like, no, it's not the one. Yeah. Um, That's Minnehaha from the Song of Hiawatha. Because first, my mind was like, Song of Hiawatha. Wait, no, Hiawatha's a man. No, 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 that can't be it. Yeah. We get Daily Double number two in the U.S. counties at the $1,200 level. Pick number 17, David finds it. Uh, he's in a, in the lead, and uh, <laughs> their lines go in opposite directions from this point. Uh, he wagers 3500 gets the clue, it's not only the northernmost section of Texas, it's the name of the seat of Carson County up there. And he guesses what is Panhandle, and that is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like that was a guess, but yes. an educated one, and it pays off. Um, and then Daily Double number three is at the $800 level of Reading Rainbow. Sonali finds this one at the 24th pick. At this point, David is heading toward a runaway, right? We've got 6400 left on the board. He's at he's $100 shy of 20000 Sonali and Mora are tied at 5200 To my mind, this is the time for a true Daily Double. Sonali wagers just 2000 Um, There's a chance still, if she were to get it correct at this point, that she could get into contention for Final Jeopardy. Um, but just a $2,000 wager and gets the clue. In this novel, Little Pearl tells her mom, the sunshine does not love you because it is afraid of something on your bosom. She 
is obviously struggling with it. She ends up guessing right before she runs out of time what is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which better to say something than nothing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they were looking for the Scarlet Letter. Yep. Uh, so with the struggles at the end of the round for the other two players, David is once more in a lock position at 22,300. Mora and Sonali are both tied at 4,800. And we get the final Jeopardy category, Innovations. And the clue, seen by a worldwide audience in 1970, black pentagons were added to these to help viewers follow them better on TV. Uh, This was a triple stumper. Moira wrote, what are blank? And wagered, zero. So stays at 4,800. Sonali wrote, what are closed captions? Which is also incorrect. And bet one dollar. No. So by one dollar, she moves to third place, which is tough. Right. If you're in a if you're in a tie, I don't know, bet nothing or yeah. everything. Maybe she All was or nothing is yeah. Is yeah, the... maybe she was thinking Mario would bet everything. And so mm, yeah. kind of gaming it that way, who knows? Uh or bet nothing. And if she'd gotten it right, she would have moved to second. And David wrote what are hockey pucks, uh, which is also incorrect, and wagered a dollar, more than zero. Uh, but those are soccer balls. Soccer mm-hmm. balls. Did not yeah. have those pentagons before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was on Twitter in all of his football gear, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> apologizing to the football team he supports or something. Yeah, um, yeah. not um, American football. Yes, uh, football, uh, like soccer, football, football club, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, what a club football? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know from sports. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I didn't figure this one out. I was heading in a similar direction to Sonali. Did you figure it out? I did get there. I don't again. Yes. I don't know if I'd have gotten there with time to write soccer balls out. But I was like, what would you follow on screen? What would you have to follow that's on screen? Right. And then like trying to think about okay, black pentagons. What would that even look like? Uh, mm-hmm. Eventually, I did get there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think it was maybe the Jeopardy fan had good tweet about this one um that this is one of those things where if you happen to head in the correct direction with the puzzle Mm -hmm. then it seems completely obvious and you can't imagine how these bozos all missed it you know but if you head toward words on a screen yeah right you're not gonna Mm -hmm. you're going in the complete opposite direction yeah yeah so there's there's a number of directions you can take this it's not clear that it's a sports question. You might start thinking about the wrong kind of TV programming or event and just be out of luck. Um, you know, not have the time to, to work it out. Yeah. All right. And on Friday, we have the contestants Chris Panulo, a customer success operations manager from Ocean City, New Jersey. Pam Warren, a high school science teacher from Petersburg, Illinois, and David Sibley, an Episcopal priest from Walla Walla, Washington, whose four-day cash winnings total $78,098. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, supernatural stories, official state stuff, sandwiches, a pro team in that sport, popes under the scope, and it's over, over in quotation marks. So, uh words or phrases that contain over because we're contractually obligated um the thousand dollar level of popes under the scope was a triple stumper in 1492 pinturicchio 
worked blue and other colors decorating apartments for Alexander VI, named for this family of Alexanders. David guessed who are the Medici, but if you listen to my deep dive about the Borgia, you would know that Alexander VI was Rodrigo Borgia. That's right. The picture of the Bon Me at the $1,000 level of sandwiches mm. was so compelling that I had to get Vietnamese delivery for dinner. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, I could go for that. Except there, we had a Bon Me place like, like half a mile away and it closed. Oh, no. And it's been replaced with... Uh, some like a mom and pop place that's like cheese steaks and Cuban food, and I was like, "This is a this is an interesting combination." Uh, we had it once; they they make fine sandwiches, but it was like now we don't have banh mi anywhere. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's okay. We had we had a favorite banh mi place at the apartment we moved out of in the city five years ago, and still will reference our favorite banh mi. By number, mm-hmm. by alphanumeric, <laughs> be like, oh man, I wish I could have a 39F extra spicy right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the Supernatural Stories category at the $800 level. It's only pick number two. Chris come, Chris finds it and uh, he wagers a thousand. And gets a clue. A swan dive into this saga of books tells us in 2007, the third one in the series sold 150,000 copies in one day. And he gets it correct with what is Twilight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, swan dive is the, the clue. clue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bella Swan is the protagonist of the Twilight books. If you don't know that, it's hard to figure out what there is to go on other than... Um, 2007, you know, extremely 2007, popular. hugely popular supernatural book. Yeah. This episode was like the first episode of Jeopardy in years that my daughter watched with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she like asked to watch it with me. I said, I'm going to watch, watch, you know, Friday's episode of Jeopardy. And she said, can I watch it with you? And I was like, yes, that's all I want. And so, uh, I said, you know, what is Twilight? And she turned to me, and she has recently been really into My Little Pony. She was like, did you say Twilight? <laughs> like, Twilight Sparkle? Twilight Sparkle. And I was like, I did say Twilight, but this is not about My Little Pony. And she got kind of disappointed. But she also asked is if, if she thinks she knows the answer, can she say it out loud? And I was like, yes! Yes! Please? Oh, I was like, that's, that's so all great. we do. That's why we watch it. It was, it was very nice. But she got really excited that maybe it was Twilight Sparkle. And alas, it was not. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, David is in third place. He's at 2,000. Pam is at 4,800. And Chris is in the lead at 6,800. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, Bodies of Water, as credited on their IMDb page. Same first and last consonant. Beg, borrow, and steal, as in the metal. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that we just happened to hit two Bible clues in a row. There's no Bible category here. There aren't even a lot of Bible-related clues on this board. But uh, at the $1,600 level of beg, we had the Jewish festival of Purim celebrates the time that this woman pleaded for the safety of the Jews from Haman. Uh, Pam got that one. It's Esther. Mm -hmm. 
And then she took us to the $800 level of borrow. The Lord tells him to have his people borrow jewels from their neighbors. Good luck getting them back after the Exodus Egyptians. Uh, that was Moses. And David got that one. Um, and it was just, I thought it was just kind of a fun coincidence that there happened to be a couple of, you know, biblical clues on the board that they, they were called consecutively. Right. Nobody can ever figure out what they're supposed to call Kate Middleton. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kate, Kate, I mean, I would just call her Kate Middleton. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. The clue at the $400 level of borrow was thanks new granny. The something borrowed she wore at her 2011 wedding was a diamond tiara loaned from queen Elizabeth's vault. And David, got it correct with who is Catherine of Cambridge, mm-hmm. which is t- technically correct, yep. which is the best kind of correct. Best kind of correct. Yeah. I mean, I think my first instinct is to say Kate Middleton, but I think I would find myself thinking, is that disrespectful? Is there a title I'm supposed to use? You know, I mean, her, t- yeah, her title after the wedding was Duchess of Cambridge, right? Yeah. And still is Duchess of Cambridge, I guess. I think so. I'm so. Or she prince? No, she's princess now, right? I think. I think she um, is. I I think she's a princess. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I I think. Um, But yeah, all of the British like monarchy like title stuff gets me a little bit flummoxed. Sure. Um, All right. Uh, Daily double number two comes up super early in the round at the second pick the $1,200 level of bodies of water. Chris finds this one and he is making a big move. Uh, He's got 8,400. He's out to a pretty good lead uh, with David at 2,000 and Pam at 8,400. And he wagers almost everything, 7,000. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a strong move. Uh, he gets the clue. The Bay of Tangier makes up part of the western end of this strait. And he gets it correct. It's the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, I did a deep talk about Gibraltar a while back. That's, that's probably how he knew it. Probably. probably. Tangier is in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Also the namesake of Tangerines. Yep. Uh, and Daily Devil number three is in the beg category at the $800 level. Pick number nine. And Pam finds it. So Ken mentions she also, like, she has a moment now, you know, what, what Chris did. Uh, she wagers 4000 which is which is a decent amount. It's still not enough to catch Chris, but it's a, it's a good bet. Gets a clue. After fleeing to London, this general pleaded for the French to fight on in a 1940s broadcast. And uh, she gets that one correct with who is de Gaulle. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round... Chris is in a lock position with 29,800. Pam has almost gotten into contention, but just not quite with 14,000. And David is at 4,000. The final Jeopardy category is before they were authors. And the clue is while working for British naval intelligence during World War II, he was codenamed 17F. David gets it correct with who is Ian Fleming. He's wagered just $3. Uh, It's, uh, this game is double locked so uh, uh we already knew he was likely to finish in third place um pam has it correct also who is ian fleming um pam risked her lock here. yeah she wagered all but five dollars um chris was in a locked position in first place pam had david locked out 
she happened to get it correct. So uh, her final score is 27,995. She finishes in second place. Um, but if she'd missed it, David would have finished in second place. Right. And Chris missed this one. He guessed who is Orwell. Um, that's a pretty good guess, I think. You know, right, I- right. Right time period? Sort of. Orwell was earlier. Oh, well, he was. You're right. Orwell was earlier. Yeah, because 1984 yeah. was published in 1948, so he was already... Right. I mean, I guess yep. that's a little bit after, but I think he'd already been writing by World War II. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, anyway, so Chris guesses who is Orwell and wagers 221, um, which drops him down to 29,579. That's still... A great payday. Yeah, I would Um, would take that. Yeah. Uh, And we'll see him again on Monday. Indeed we will. Um, So this is the moment in the middle of the episode where we take a break before the deep dive to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. We've got a little bit of exclusive content there. We put our quiz questions up, um, unless I forget, which I did two weeks ago. So sorry. Um, Oh, shoot. (laughs) Did you forget also? Oops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, from time to time, we put quiz questions up before posting the episode. We run a real professional operation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, with your support, we are uh, we are moving toward being more and more professional. <laughs> um, we'll get it in year four. <laughs> uh, it's patreon.com slash potent potables if you want to throw us a couple bucks a month to try and help us out with this whole situation um, <laughs> uh, but hey there are, there are some there are some groups out in the world doing really great work really well <laughs> um, much more professionally than some of us much more professionally than us uh, we, we like to highlight abortionfunds.org um, as well as some others that you can find in the show notes um, do you have deep dive guesses, Kyle? Yes, and I actually have two from the same category. Okay. But they seem compelling. Um, are we talking about the Montgolfier brothers? Ah, I thought that one was compelling, but no. Are we talking about the Sullivan brothers? I also had that on my short list, but that's also no. Ah, uh, shoot. I'm going for something weird this week. Okay. If you want a little nudge before you make your third guess. Weird as in? It's not in my wheelhouse. Okay, then, I mean, I know that I would have talked about the Knights Templar, so I'm going to ask if you're talking about the Knights Templar. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Uh, we're in the stay healthy category from stay healthy category from the Jeopardy round of the Thursday game. $1,000 clue, while it won't help you Wolverine style, this water-soluble vitamin helps oh. heal wounds and is needed to make collagen. Okay. Uh, and nobody tried it. it. Oh, no, sorry. Sonali tried vitamin K, uh, but vitamin C is the correct response here. Which is interesting. What's the... Um, I, I, vitamin K was a very good guess, I thought. Because mm-hmm. isn't collagen called collagen because of vitamin K? Oh. Like, I thought... I don't know. Collagen is from the Greek for cola for glue. French gen. Yeah. I don't know what. I think vitamin K. I mean, I. Vitamin K helps with clotting. I don't know. I Maybe I, yeah. I must be. Maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, I don't think there's a connection there, but I don't want to. I mean, there the world is full of things I don't know. So, um. So yeah, but I was like, hey, vitamin C. 
I know there are a couple of like interesting little things that I've learned about it, and I bet that I can find more, um, which I did. So we're talking about vitamin C today. And uh, if you start looking at, you know, information about vitamin C, you will find a large amount of very technical scientific and medical information, uh, which I only understood some of and I'm not going to attempt to relay here. Um, This is a trivia podcast, so I am focusing on interesting or potentially trivia worthy aspects of vitamin C uh, where we may not all be a lay audience here. There are probably some sciencey some professional science people, scientists who listen. Um, you all know I am not one of you. Great respect for your work. Uh, but I'm not going to mistake my um, Wikipedia reading for actual scientific background. Anyway. Um, well, I mean, you could have watched a YouTube video on it. Yeah. That need to be an expert. Mm-hmm. That, that would work. Um, <laughs> you'd you'd have you done your research. Mm-hmm. Yep. The people who talk about doing your own research and don't understand that the algorithm is feeding them exactly what they want things it's figured out they want to see mm-hmm. yeah all right anyway so vitamin c um also known as ascorbic acid and ascorbate is a water-soluble vitamin it is um you probably know found in especially in citrus and other fruits and vegetables but we'll get into that a little bit later um most animals are able to synthesize their own vitamin C. However, apes, humans, mon- the monkeys, not all primates, um, but many, most bats, some rodents, and uh, some other animals have to acquire it from dietary sources. So we don't synthesize it ourselves. Uh, we need to eat it, but many other animals synthesize their own vitamin C and do not need it in their diet. Um, the term vitamin C encompasses several vitamers that all have vitamin C activity in animals. Um, this is vocabulary I'd never learned. So I, that sounds made up. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So so here's here's the thing. A vitamin is something that you need to keep you from getting a vitamin deficiency. So if you don't get enough vitamin C, you will get scurvy. Um, for example. Uh, But most vitamins have multiple vitamers, which is to say there are different specific compounds, any of which will do that job uh, in in the human body. So the vitamers of vitamin C include dehydroascorbic acid, calcium ascorbate, sodium ascorbate, ascorbic acid, other uh, salts of other salts besides the ones I mentioned of ascorbic acid. So like there are multiple possible molecules that can do the vitamin C thing. All of them are vitamers of vitamin C. Um, Yeah. In 1907, Norwegian physicists Axel Holst and Theodor Froelich were studying shipboard beriberi, which might be just beriberi, or it might be a weird name for scurvy. I found two different... I found two different interpretations of what that was and couldn't figure out which one was authoritative. Most experiments uh, had at, on beriberi at that point had been done with pigeons. Holst and Froelich used guinea pigs, um, which coincidentally happened to be one of the animals that cannot synthesize vitamin C. Uh, the guinea pigs got scurvy and that was part of the process of vitamin C being identified and you know understood. 
1912, uh, Polish biochemist Casimir Funk developed the concept of vitamins uh, and named them vitamins because he considered them vital amines. That's not actually like chemically correct. We now know, I believe. Um, but but yeah, Too that's, late to change that's the name. where. Yep, that's where that's where the term vitamin comes from. Um, in his 1912 article for the Journal of State Medicine, he proposed the existence of at least four vitamins: one to prevent, one preventing beriberi, one preventing scurvy, one preventing pellagra, and one preventing rickets. There were three different scientists, you know, teams work that worked on isolating vitamin C. Um, and there was kind of a hot dispute over who should get credit for what. Um, but ultimately, a Hungarian biochemist Albert Szent Gyurgyi is credited with first isolating vitamin C. In 1933, British chemist Walter Norman Hayworth chemically identified the vitamin as L-hexuronic acid. And uh, Hayworth and Szent Gyurgyi proposed that this uh, that L-hexuronic acid be named ascorbic acid um, in honor of its activity against scurvy. Um, so the, the etymology of ascorbic acid is from Latin, uh, the A prefix, uh, so meaning away or off from, and scorbic meaning, uh, it's from the medieval Latin scorbuticus, hmm. uh, which means pertaining to scurvy. Interesting. So, yep. So ascorbic acid is like not anti scurvy yeah, cool. acid. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Centurgy was awarded the 1937 Nobel Prize in Medicine, and Hayworth shared that year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry um, in honor of the, on this. Uh, in 1933, uh, Thaddeus Reichstein succeeded in synthesizing the vitamin in bulk. By what is now called the Reichstein process. This made possible the inexpensive mass production of vitamin C, and in 1934, Hoffman LaRoche trademarked synthetic vitamin C under the brand name Redoxon and began to market it as a dietary st- supplement. So I've mentioned scurvy a couple of times, um, so let's, let's jump back in history a minute, uh, because of course, the value of eating certain foods to maintain health was something that humans knew long before we were identifying the chemical compounds and vitamins. And the connection between certain foods and scurvy prevention had been known for centuries before vitamin C was um, isolated and synthesized. Uh, So scurvy is a disease that results from a deficiency of vitamin C. Uh, And without vitamin C, collagen uh, made by the body is too unstable to perform its function. And there are several other enzymes in the body that don't operate correctly without vitamin C as well. Uh, so scurvy is characterized by spots on and bleeding under the skin, spongy gums, corkscrew hair growth, and poor wound healing, hmm. uh, which can it is reversible until you know like for you, through much of the progression of the disease, um, but can't it can eventually uh, lead lead to death. There are numerous examples throughout history of sailors touting the benefits of lemon juice, um, the import like that, you know, advice for sailors about the importance of fruit and vegetables, sailors like planting fruit trees in strategic locations to be able to access fruit. Um, it's hard to say how much of that is specifically scurvy related, um, but you know, 
the connections were being made. Mm-hmm. But then the first attempt to give scientific basis for the cause of this disease was by a ship surgeon in the Royal Navy, a man named James Lind. Uh, at sea in May, May 1747, he provided some crew members with two oranges and one lemon per day in addition to the normal rations, while the rest of the crew continued with the normal rations, um, which makes it one of the world's first controlled experiments. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and he found that citrus fruits prevent scurvy and published his work in 1753 in a work titled Treatise on the Scurvy. It was 1796 before the British Navy adopted lemon juice as standard issue at sea, uh, owing in part to you know kind of the expense of um, of those of that fruit. In 1845, ships in the West Indies were provided with lime juice instead, and in 1860, lime juice was used throughout the Royal Navy, uh, which gave rise to the American use of the nickname "limey" for mm. the British. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, also like an old lime is like it's like kind of archaic slang for a sailor, which I assume probably interesting is from the same source. So that's that's like some of the scurvy background. Um, but hey, let's talk about um, vitamin C megadosing. Uh, yeah. In the ni- yeah. In the 1960s, uh, the Nobel Prize winning, winning chemist, he was already a Nobel Prize winner uh, at this point. Linus Pauling. Uh, you should know that name. Mm-hmm. Kyle, I'm sure you do began actively promoting vitamin C as a means to greatly improve human health and resistance to disease. He popularized the concept of high-dose vitamin C as prevention and treatment of the common cold in 1970. Uh, His position was that for optimal health, humans should be consuming at least 2,300 milligrams per day of vitamin C to compensate for the inability to synthesize vitamin C. For reference, he's recommending 2,300 milligrams per day Government recommendations um, worldwide range from 40 milligrams a day to 110. Um, so he was recommending 20 times the highest recommendation. Um, a few years later, he provo- proposed that vitamin C would prevent cardiovascular disease and that 10 grams per day init- uh, initially administered intravenously and thereafter taken by mouth would cure late stage cancer. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, this the, the whole megadosing theory is pretty much discredited at this point. Uh, yeah, um, there are. Some benefits to taking vitamin C uh, with regard to the common cold. There are lots of studies um, and some have shown, you know, some effectiveness, um, not in prevention, but in reducing duration and severity. Um, But nothing has shown a bigger benefit for megadoses versus like normal like moderate doses uh intake of more than a thousand milligrams a day is not better and no study has found it to be better than intakes between 200 to a thousand on the flip side um from everything i've read it seems like vitamin c is water soluble and um you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty hard to to overdose on it it's not really dangerous to megadose it you know, you just, your body can't, you can't use all of it. Right, it's just um, useless. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't get absorbed. It just, it, yeah. 
less dangerous than some things that people do thinking they're going to be healthy. So, you know, sure. relatively benign, I guess. But yeah, it can't, it, it, there's no evidence that it treats cancer or cardiovascular disease. It also has uses in food preservation. Uh, American biochemist Erwin Stone identified the food preservative properties of ascorbic acid in 1935. Uh, I mentioned intake recommendations. So more specifically, the Indian National Institute of Nutrition is kind of the low end of recommendations, recommending 40 milligrams per day. Um, The WHO recommends 45 The United States National Academy of Sciences recommends 90 milligrams per day for men and 75 for women. And then the European Food Safety Authority is the highest recommendation at 110 for men and 95 for women. So like, you know, big range, but like nowhere near approaching the um, the mega dosing. Like range. Viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some suggestion that cigarette smokers and people exposed to secondhand smoke uh, might benefit from higher vitamin C intake, uh, cigarette smokers and people exposed to secondhand smoke tend to have lower serum vitamin C levels on average than non-smokers, but there's some, there's some kind of back and forth about that. Um, fruits and vegetables are generally good sources for vitamin C. Um, cooking tends to reduce vitamin C, which maybe you knew intuitively, but it's worth noting. Yeah. Familiar sources include citrus fruits, kiwi, broccoli, bell pepper, strawberries, um, but there are much higher concentrations of vitamin C in some fruits that are not widely available in the U.S. Uh, the highest concentration of all was in a fruit that I've never heard of, the kakadu plum from Australia. <laughs> that would be from Australia. Yeah. The kamu kamu from Brazil is another one with like super high concentrations of vitamin C, and the Acerola cherry was one that I had heard of that is similar to those other two. Those are like, they have like, like 10 times as much vitamin C per gram as like an orange or whatever. The traditional Inuit diet was kind of a vitamin C puzzle for a little bit um, because Inuit people don't eat fruits and vegetables, but also don't get scurvy. Um, But the traditional Inuit diet includes... Uh, raw meat. Um, and like I said, most animals synthesize their own vitamin right. C. And cooking it would reduce it. But Right. So, um, yeah, I don't recommend. <laughs> Nobody recommends that we all start eating raw meat to get our vitamin C. But it turns out it's possible. Uh, vitamin C is uh, also present in human breast milk at five milligrams per hundred grams. There's a small amount in cow and goat milk. But again, it breaks down when heated, right? And breaks down in cooking. Um, and we pasteurize our milk in this country. Mm-hmm. Beyond treating scurvy, a role for vitamin C as prevention or treatment for various diseases um, has often been proposed, but is disputed. Um, so I mentioned there have been numerous studies on the common cold, and there's no evidence that it's really effective for prevention. Some modest evidence of a small effect on duration or severity, but not totally clear. Um, Many studies looked at um, vitamin C's effect on COVID-19 and found no real effect. Um, uh, Similarly, some studies of its impact on cancer treatment found no effect. Um, There were a few possible associations pretty weak. Um, And there have been some 
studies as well about Alzheimer's with conflicting conclusions. Uh, vitamin C can assist with the absorption of iron. Oh. So people who have anemia or are prone to anemia might benefit from uh, making sure to get vitamin C simultaneously with iron-rich foods um, to, uh, to help with iron absorption. And that's what I've got about vitamin C. Hey, that's more than I ever thought. Yeah, I I was like, oh, what can there be? I mean, it'll be a real quick deep dive. Like, what is there really, you know, to talk about? Except that I know the mega dosing stuff is kind of interesting. And, that, and then I went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. But are you ready for a quiz? I'm always ready for a quiz. Great. This is a quiz about vitamins. So question one. The Stocker Conrennen, an annual punting boat race at the University of Tübingen in Germany, requires the loser to drink a glass of what fishy substance that has been given to children as a dietary supplement due to its high vitamin A and B content? Fishy substance. Mm-hmm. And it's a vitamin? It is. It is a substance which is high in vitamins A and B. Substance, okay. Given to children, I don't... Fishy substance given to children. The, I mean, fish oil comes to mind, but I assume it's not fish oil since you said fishy. Um, can um, you be more specific? I mean, so either. Oh, okay. So I, I okay. My guess is castor oil Ooh, um same kind of family of like you know sort of uh associations mm -hmm. um as castor oil cod liver oil cod liver oil okay mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah of course I've castor oil is from castor beans oh okay that makes sense yeah uh yeah uh cod liver oil is um drink a glass of cod liver oil Ugh, no thank you yeah, cod liver oil has been used for a, for a dietary supplement for children. Um, I think especially before uh, fortification of milk. Mm -hmm. Makes sense because now we have it. In, now we have vitamin D, especially in milk, and that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, question two: Scurvy is caused by vitamin C deficiency, as we discussed, and rickets is caused by vitamin D deficiency. What disease with a double talk name is caused by vitamin B1 deficiency? With a double talk name. I think I referenced this disease in the deep dive by accident. Forgot that it was uh, mm, also in the also in the quiz. It's not sticking. I'm not remembering mm -hmm. it, so you got away with it, I guess. Um, <laughs> is it the is it the one that starts with a B? Yeah. Oh, man. Bur mm. All that's coming into mind is Benihana, but I... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, like, I can, I, yeah, I can get close to it, but I don't. Burry Burry? Yes! Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, close enough. It's, it's Berry Berry. B-E-R-I-B-E-R-I. -E -E okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got that. I'll take that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, you got it. Um... Uh, yeah, Berry Berry is 
vitamin B1 deficiency. Mm. The name is uh, possibly borrowed from Sinhalese, meaning I cannot, I cannot. <laughs> um, <laughs> meaning I can't even. Right. Well, I mean, you know, like it's it's funny, right? But but, but also, also terrifying. Like, it's because it expre- it presents with like extreme fatigue. Yeah. Right. And like muscle weakness. Um, yeah. That's interesting, uh, Colin. Like, oh yeah, they've got a case of that. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, it's it's accurate. That's that's yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're at ten points. Um, and question three. Two modern studies have helped to identify specifically what level of deficiency in vitamin C causes scurvy. One was conducted on prisoners in Iowa in the 1970s and 80s. The other was conducted in Britain during World War II on members of what group of young men? Other members of this group from history include Muhammad Ali, Desmond Doss, and Alvin York. That is very interesting because I don't know the other names aside from Muhammad Ali. So could be boxers, could be converts to Islam, but I'm going to guess that it is conscientious objectors. Yes, you got it. Okay. I'm so, I'm so pleased. Um, like really any of those could have been because you know governments do what governments do but also yeah uh yes uh conscientious objectors uh in britain during world war ii uh, were given the option to instead volunteer as participants in medical experiments right um yeah uh go die there or go die here yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so um, troublingly, I, I think, uh, men in the in the prison study that I mentioned developed the first signs of scurvy in about four weeks after starting a vitamin C-free diet, uh, whereas in the British study, it took six to eight months. Um, they did have this group um, kind of preload with like a balanced diet and like sub like vitamin supplementation for six weeks before starting hmm. the experiment it sounds to me like possibly the prison population is already deficient already already like not getting appropriate nutrition yeah. right like i mean shocking right again not a scientist right but like but yeah that was that was my first reaction <laughs> Uh, but both studies reported that all symptoms of scurvy could be completely reversed by supplementation of only 10 milligrams a day. Yeah. Uh, all right. You're at 20 points. Question four. Vitamin D is not just a fat-soluble vitamin that's added to milk. It's also the title of a single by what rap artist known for songs including What's Your Fantasy? Did you have I talked about this on the podcast? I don't think you have. I, I think you have referenced this artist. Well, I mean, if it's the what is your fantasy that I know, that would be ludicrous. It is ludicrous. Have I told have I talked on the podcast? Ludicrous is my favorite rapper. I don't think you've said that on the podcast. Uh, well, now I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I don't actually know the particular single that I referenced. I just, you know, like whatever. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was just searching for, you know. Vitamin, yeah, vitamin so- stuff. Yeah. Songs with vitamin names. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, okay, so Ludacris is your favorite rapper. Mm-hmm. Do you have any Ludacris fun facts? Because I didn't look one up for the quiz. Uh, I mean, not necessarily. If I mean, the term Dirty South is associated with Ludacris, if that ever comes up in trivia. Hmm. Good to know. Mm-hmm. All right. You're at 30 points. And question five. The lettering of vitamins has a large gap after E. Due in large part, the compounds that had been assigned letters from F onward being subsequently reclassified, many of them as B-complex mm-hmm. vitamins, mm-hmm. Um, so now the one vitamin that comes alphabetically after E is which one, which is given as an injection to newborns? I feel like I've already talked about this because I don't think I've ever heard of any of the other vitamins. So I'm going to say vitamin K. Vitamin K is correct. Yes. And I, I actually looked it up after we talked about it. It's the K comes from the German for coagulation. Yes, mm-hmm. I knew that, but I wasn't going to say Okay. <laughs> I, knew I had a question about it queued up. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so that's what I, I was thinking that it was the K, like, that it was K for collagen in another language, but it was coagulation. So mm-hmm. I was incorrect. Yep. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we we, uh, we inject newborns with that to, um, wait, does it make sure that they don't hemorrhage? Yeah, or it helps it, with clotting. Yeah. Yeah. Helps with clotting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you are at 40 points. And category. We're going to call it pop culture products. Okay. I don't know where to go with that. Um, I'll go. Hmm. I'm bad at pop culture. I will go. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> all right. Good. That's what I was hoping. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, what product line was first produced in 1968 and acquired by Bayer in 1979, appealing to children via the use of familiar characters and to their parents' worries about the health of their picky eating progeny? Is this is this those disgusting Flintstone vitamins? Yes! Flintstone's chewable vitamins is the correct response. Yes. (laughs) Chalky, gross, nasty, disgusting, terrible. Oh, man. That was like pervasive flavor of my entire childhood. Mm -hmm. I used to like, when when we were little and we had like kid, you know, little kid plates where it has like the the sections divided and everything. Uh I would like tuck it in. You know how, how like, you know, the div- mm-hmm. the divider section goes up and there's this little, like, ridge? I'd, yeah. like, shove it in the ridge. And then when I w- when it was time to clear my plate, I just made sure my hand was under it when I went to the sink and i just, like, drop it in the sink. <laughs> so gross. Does your mom listen to the podcast? No, she doesn't know how podcasts work. <laughs> cool. Also, at this point, it's a little late for me to get in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it would be a funny way for her to find out, though. It would be, but God, they were so gross. Oh, man. Yeah. Those are terrible. Mm-hmm. We did not do Flintstones vitamins um, 
in my house, but uh, I was always kind of jealous of them because, like, the commercials made them look kind of cool. Oh, yeah, the commercials. <laughs> oh, they sold them real good. Like mm-hmm. I said, it was, like, literally every day until I was... I don't even know. Was I in high school when I stopped having to take... I don't I don't remember when it was that we stopped having them. Mm-hmm. But I do remember having to, to eat them, like, every day of my childhood. In 1995, there was a grassroots campaign to add Betty Rubble to the, to the lineup. <laughs> um, and then Bayer did a telephone poll uh, to collect feedback on that idea, which came in in favor. So she was added... Uh, they took the Flintstone car out of mm. the lineup to, uh, to add Betty. You know, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Um, yeah. They also are available now as sour gummies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've, they've, I mean, having, you know, tasted some of the stuff we give my kids, like the flavor is so much better now. Mm-hmm. I have one kid who will do a chewable pill, um, but that kid also will eat a wide variety of foods without lighting in like appropriate amounts so so like doesn't um, really need the vitamins yeah <laughs> yeah and the other kid the other kid has learned how to swallow a pill and we we, we do have her take a, take a multivitamin like just just in case mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just you know like i said evidence on a lot of vitamin supplementation is like so so um yeah but 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 usually it's not harmful if you take more than yeah. you need yeah um so yeah no i i i am <laughs> the the parents the worried parents in the quiz question is me mm-hmm. um yeah but hey uh you finished this quiz with 80 points yay thank yay. you thank you for that was a good that was a fun deep dive and quiz thank you i i had fun learning all that stuff and uh hopefully everybody learned something today uh so hey listeners thank you for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And mm-hmm. we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy and a deep diving quiz. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. 